We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and live, the Awabakal and Waramai people, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. You're listening to Boob to Food, the podcast with Luca McCabe and Kate Holm. There is so much noise in the parenting space. And we don't mean the tantruming toddler. We understand it can feel confusing, conflicting and overwhelming. That's why we are bringing our years of experience as a midwife, nutritionist and naturopath. And of course, mums. So that you can confidently navigate the roller coaster of motherhood from boob to food and beyond. Each week you'll hear practical wisdom, expert advice and inspirational stories of other mums in the depths of this parenting journey. Let's, Let's dive, dive in. in. Today's episode is brought to you by Karcha. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Boob to Food, the podcast. Today, we have our occupational therapist, Rach, joining us. Rach, did you want to introduce yourself for anyone who doesn't know who you are? Yeah, definitely. Um, looking forward to chatting today. I am mum to Olive, um, wife to Charles, and I'm an occupational therapist working um, here in Brisbane at my private practice therapy time. And also um, very thrilled that I'm part of the Boob to Food team as um, yeah, as the OT. Amazing. And you work a lot in the paediatric occupational therapist space. Is that right? I do, yes. Been a paediatric OT for eight years now. Yeah, love working with kids, love supporting families. Um, I get to work in the developmental space, which includes lots of feeding clients as well. So today we're tackling a pretty big topic and it's questions that we get asked a lot here at Boob to Food and it's all about forbidden foods. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> we want to say that topic uh, headline is very clickbaity so that people listen to this um, and we want to make it pretty clear at the beginning that we are not recommending that you forbid any foods from your little one and we're going to talk all about that today and the language around foods and... I mean, the only food you should forbid for your babies is drugs and alcohol. So <laughs> other than that, <laughs> do they count as foods? <laughs> you are, I don't know, actually. I think it goes Substance without abuse, saying. yeah. <laughs> so, yes, we, yeah, it's a very clickbaity topic, but it is something that comes up a lot. It's something that I deal with in my own household. Mm. You guys would as well. And so we're just we're going to have a, a real conversation about this with you, Rach, because you obviously work in this field and have a bit more expertise than we do. And now you're coming into the real life of it with a toddler yourself as well. I am. Yeah. Olive turned two in September. So I feel like finally after years of having, you know, theory and knowledge about these things, I'm now <laughs> having to put it into practice with a living, breathing toddler. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing your experiences as well. You guys have a few more kitties and a few more years under your belt. Yeah. In the parenting role. It's a big topic. I feel like it's particularly relevant at this time of year too, with, mm. you know, going into Christmas and there's lots more celebrations and lots more, you know, foods that people might not eat every day, lots more, you know, family around who maybe don't have the same food philosophies. So it'll be good to unpack for everybody. So we feel like we're confident moving into festive season. Yeah, absolutely. So Rach, I guess, you know, here at Boob to Food, we primarily talk about babies, introducing solids to babies. And obviously if people follow the Milk to Meals book, they'll know that, you know, it's very I guess, low sugar foods, we generally recommend, you know, low additive or no additive foods because we can, we have so much control around babies and what they eat and what we're offering them. But then they become a toddler and then they start going to party. So Will, my third child, he obviously sees the other two eating foods that I wouldn't have offered my first child because I didn't really feel the need to offer. He didn't know what chocolate and things were and I could safely eat it later on. But he, yeah, was exposed to these foods a lot earlier and mm. so he started eating, you know, the foods that we're probably going to be talking about today, these sugary foods or additive foods mm. or foods with preservatives or anything that you might not particularly have in your diet regularly. Mm. Um, but for most people, what age would you start to be more relaxed around, I guess, these foods for our little ones? Is there like a magic age that we would introduce these foods or hold off for or yeah what would be your advice there yeah the big question I feel like it's the one I've asked myself <laughs> recently 
I think it's helpful to name a few priorities that we would probably all share as parents really trying to do our absolute best. And especially, you know, as families who are a part of the Boob to Food community and that, you know, our top priority really is we want to nourish our little ones and we want to, you know, provide them with the nutrients that they need. And we're so, you know, we're so privileged, I suppose, that we have access to information that our parents probably didn't have Mm. um, through communities and platforms like this. But then, you know, priority number two, we would probably also agree that we want our kids to develop lifelong positive relationships with all different types of food. Mm. And we want them to be intuitive, lifelong eaters that know how to, you know, nourish their bodies 20, 30 years down the track. Mm. Um, And then priority number three is that we'd want we would probably all agree we want our kids to enjoy life and enjoy, um, you know, social outings, enjoy parties, enjoy traditions that are meaningful to our families, you know, enjoy being with friends and family. Mm -hmm. So I think keeping all those things in mind definitely influences how we approach these questions. But I mean, my answer would be like, wait as long as you can. I think coming back to the division of responsibility, which we talk about all the time, that it's a parent's job to decide when food's offered, where it's offered, and what is offered. So while your little one is at home with you and they're not aware of all the things and all the other foods out there, you can focus on what's on their plate and you can be the one that gets to nourish their body and you can focus on that. So I think for the first 12 months, um, you know, 18 to 24 months, if you can, being able to prioritize those nutrient-dense foods and being able to serve them the things that are really meaningful to your family is is great. But then there comes a point where, yeah, like you said, Luca, and I think it's different for a second or a third or a fourth mm-hmm. child in the family where it's no longer just the parent that's deciding what's on offer. There's now other people and mm-hmm. other environments that are deciding what's on offer. Mm-hmm. And it's when you get into those sort of um, situations and environments and your child's aware, I think that's when we need to be really mindful of the kind of conversations we're having, you know, the attitudes that we're that we're modeling and demonstrating. And that's where we want to be really careful that we're not restricting any foods. Um, my, you know, my experience with Olive has been you know, the first 18 months Um, You know, she doesn't have any older siblings. We were really able to just focus on, yeah, nutrient-dense foods and the kind of things that I'm so grateful she was able to eat at home. She had no idea of other things, Mm. I suppose, aside from when we went to restaurants and we really wanted to buy some extra time with the hot (laughs) chips. Mm. Um, You know, she wasn't exposed to a lot of, you know, a lot of sugar-laden or additive-laden things. But now, you know, these last six to eight months, she's well and truly independent and on the go at parties and at friends' houses. Mm. And she's aware of, you know, cake and chippies. She loves chip and dip at the moment. Aww. And so coming back to the division of responsibility, you know, that's now an offer and it's her job to decide if she eats and how much she eats. So that's when food's available, when other kids are eating things. Yeah, that's when we want to be really careful about not placing restriction. Because as soon as we place restriction on a food, as soon as we're in an environment like that and we say, oh no, you can't eat that or uh, that's just for the adults or that's just for the big people or, you know, only one bite, you know, indirectly we've put it on a pedestal Mm. um, and we've told them that it's something to be really desired and something that they can't have. And Ellen Satter, who we talk about a lot and moved to food, she basically says, yeah, as soon as we have a food that's forbidden, it's only going to make our kids crave and seek out those foods more. And I don't know if you guys can relate to that. I would probably say even for me, you know, you go through those stages. um, I'm so grateful to have a positive relationship with sugar now, but through uni, you know, I would Mm. drive to parties and think, I'm not going to eat the chocolate. I'm not going to eat the sugar. I'm not going to eat the sugar, you know, and then Mm. you get there and you're so focused on what you're not eating rather than just enjoying food with friends. You know, you end up making choices or eating, eating more than you would have if you just had to listen to your body. So I think giving kids opportunities to listen to their bodies and learn to be intuitive eaters is really important um, from, yeah, from that point of awareness. Mm. I always think it's funny. Will, so my third child, his first food was a baked cheesecake on Christmas Day. Oh, my gosh. Uh, was, uh, when he was six months. He wasn't even six months. Oh, I remember this story. Because <laughs> he could, People are going to love that. Yeah, he was on the move and, I don't know, we're at Christmas and we've got like 10 nieces and nephews. Mm. They're all everywhere eating their cheesecake and then he was just sort of on the floor with them all playing and then I turned around and he had cheesecake all over his face, all over his hands. He just dived into it. I thought, great, he's had like six <laughs> allergens in once. <laughs> he's not had any solids before and that was his first one. So like you said, it's it's so many other influences after yeah. your first child. So the first child, you know, I, I was the same. I found it so easy. Mm. Flynn, 
had no idea he, he would have like frozen peas and things mm. and think that that was the most special treat ever. <laughs> Not that we called it that, but he would just get so excited the way that he would now if he was to have lollies or chocolate or, you know. And so, yes, it's definitely easier the first time around and it gets yeah. harder the second and third time. But then also just those outward, you know, people around us mm. having their opinions does make it hard as well sometimes, especially coming into Christmas and lots of food, yummy foods on offer. But I think it's really important what you mentioned that food is so much more than just what we eat. Mm. Like food is everything really, like everything sort of comes around food, doesn't it? Like yeah. All of our interactions and social like gatherings and everything comes around food. So when we think about restricting it or if we're really stressed about our kids, we're not going to enjoy yeah. ourselves at these things and that's that's more yeah. important in the long-term game. Yeah. I think at the same time though it's like we can simultaneously acknowledge that some foods do contain more nutrients than other foods and it's like we don't have to pretend that, you know, okay, we're going to a party and our kid's going to just eat hot chips and cheesecake that we're like oh great that's you know met their nutritional needs and at the same time it's okay to do that it's like it doesn't have to be well we only want nutrient-dense foods so those things are off the table or those things are on the table and so then it's always at the expense of these nutrient-dense foods these things can coexist and we can be yeah we can just be okay with it either way and still do our best at home to eat foods that are aligned and that we enjoy or that our you know kids bodies thrive on or our bodies thrive on and then at whatever intervals even if it is daily we can include some of these other foods and just be okay with it as it is mm. Mm. that's good it's keeping those yeah those few priorities holding mm. them in tension yeah yeah actually there's a photo of me i must be maybe eight or nine months old, eating a Mars bar. A Mars bar. <laughs> yep. I love and it. it's like. <sighs> Probably don't need to offer you eight or nine yeah, months old well, a Mars bar. Like. <laughs> and I think it's a really interesting generational thing. Or maybe it's not generational. Maybe it's just different perspectives. But the kind of message around like, oh, your poor child, like they're missing out or like I can't believe you're feeding them sardines or liver, like how disgusting. And it's like, no, actually at that age, you know, I mean, I as an eight or nine month old baby, I don't know what a Mars bar is mm. until someone puts it in my hand. So I don't have a concept of missing out if I'm not eating it. And if I'm eating a tin of sardines and loving it, then I'm also not feeling deprived. So I think so much of what we you know, make food mean is actually our stories and our interactions with food. And for kids, when they do have this clean slate, it's not like that. We can give them foods that are nourishing, that they enjoy. And then, like we said, when the time comes that they are aware of the Mars bar or the bubble bill or the whatever else, then we can explore that. But we don't have to be rushing to give it to them just because Auntie Jenny at Christmas thinks that we're a mean parent for not giving it to them. Mm. Rach, is there like a time or place that we should be teaching our kids about like healthy, I'm, do, I'm doing air quotes but no one can see, <laughs> healthy or unhealthy <laughs> foods. Like should we be naming foods this? Um, like I don't know how, I, I know we get yeah. so many questions because obviously we want to be able to teach our child that, mm. you know, these fruits and vegetables and meats and things like all these nutrient-dense foods that we always promote, you know, we want them to know that these foods are good for their bodies and that they're nourishing them and that the other foods, that that they are sometimes foods, I guess, but there's so much like language Mm. barriers Mm. and confusion around this and no one really knows what to say. So if you can enlighten us, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. I No, I don't think we need to directly be teaching kids about healthy, unhealthy, good, bad foods. I think we can absolutely teach kids about the benefits of whole foods and we can reflect with kids about, you know, how our bodies feel and how I've got so much energy after eating, you know, whatever yummy food you had for brekkie. But I don't think it's our job to teach kids to be able to, you know, identify sugar-laden foods or additives in foods. You know, most Mm. adults, you know, we struggle to understand this. I walk around the aisle at Coles and read labels and I still feel confused Mm -hmm. sometimes. I don't think it's a burden that we want our toddlers or even our big kids to have to carry. And I don't think it's a helpful distinction. I think the best thing we can be doing is uh, focusing on modeling 
and focusing on what we're doing at home. You know, not all the time, but what we're doing most of the time and and modeling enjoying whole foods, modeling enjoying nutrient-dense food. I think what we do and what we celebrate is so much more important than what we say. And so we don't have a job to explicitly teach them. Um, as much as we know that some food will provide more nourishment than others, I think modeling is more important than mm what we say. And we've even got to be really, I think we've got to be really careful with our language, particularly coming back to those priorities. When we want our kids to develop those healthy relationships with foods, we want to be careful that we're not, like I mentioned before, putting foods on a pedestal by the way we talk about them. And I think is even using the word treat or even using the word sometimes food or occasional foods, you know, it it does. It puts food up on a pedestal and makes it sound really exciting and something to be really desired. And I think, yeah, the best thing we can do is call food by its name, you know, broccoli's mm. broccoli and pasta's pasta and cake is cake and ice cream's ice cream, like whether it's a homemade spirulina, coconut cream, banana whip mm. ice cream, or it's like the rainbow ice cream from down at the shops, like it's it's ice cream. And I think when we say, let's go get an ice cream, you've, you know, you've been so good this week or you've eaten all your veggies, when we start using it as a reward or as a treat that we really, you know, amp up and hype up, that's, yeah, that's when we're putting it on a pedestal and that's not usually going to be helpful long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, one study found that children as young as four report that they feel guilty if they eat food that's been forbidden by their parents. Mm-hmm. So not setting things, we, we want to make sure that we're not setting things up. We're not setting things up to be restricted or to be forbidden. And we want to make sure that we're not linking food with morality, you know, mm. that we're good if we eat the good foods and then we're bad if we eat the bad foods. I don't think any of us want our kids walking around at school as the food police mm. with their peers as well. I don't think that that's going to be helpful for for everyone. And I think, yeah, it, it, the messaging doesn't just come through what we say at mealtimes, it comes through from so many different places in media and TV and books. I've been thinking about this more lately. And even the way we play, mm. I've been so mindful, even play routines with Olive. And perhaps because, you know, I work in the therapy space and do a lot of play with kids, you know, I've got my like play routines that I go to and so many of them celebrate these, you know, sugar-laden, additive-laden foods. You know, Mm. we have the ice cream stand and then we make the birthday cake and none of those things are bad. And I definitely don't plan on ditching those routines, but I think just being conscious through all those messages that we also take time to celebrate whole foods too, you know, let's cook up some veggies with our play food and, you know, Mm. let's make a smoothie. Like I think just modeling as, you know, as cheesy as that might sound, I think making sure that we, yeah, are consciously celebrating a variety of foods um, through our play and our messaging. And there's some good books that I was, yeah, telling Luca and Kate I've come across recently that we can link in the show notes as well that just do a great job at celebrating food as food um, and not creating that, um, yeah, that separation between the healthy foods and the unhealthy foods because I don't think that's best. What about then, so what if your child then gets a whiff of (laughs) one of these foods, ice cream, for example, and then asks for ice cream for every meal? How do we word that? Because this is what I deal with a lot at the moment (laughs) with a nearly nine-year-old and a nearly six-year-old who are very aware of what is out there in the world now. And will request these foods multiple times a day now and it's really hard. It's really hard to bite my tongue each time and be like, mm. you don't want to eat too much of that food because, you know, mm. it's not that healthy for you. And I try not to say that, but it has slipped out before, I'll be honest, because it's like sometimes I'm just think, oh, my gosh, I don't know what else to say because you just keep asking me for this mm. food and you haven't actually eaten like a proper lunch or breakfast or and it's not like they're deprived, trust me. My husband <laughs> loves to go out with them and buy ice creams multiple times a week. And so it's it's not that. It's just, I don't know, they're just fiends for it at the moment. And I think it's just that school environment, parties mm. at the moment, like there's a lot of it around. It's summer, you yep. go to the beach, want an ice cream. But when it's every time and I just, it's hard to know how to word it to mm. say, I can't even say it's not on the menu because then they're like, it's for sale at the shop. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my line, Luca. That's Sorry. it. See, I, told I knew you. it was going to be. I could see you. I, like, <laughs> I, I've got a two-year-old. I haven't All right. Well, most people listening across, will have two-year-olds, so just say I your line. That's okay. I haven't come across the why question. <laughs> I, 
think the why question's a hard one because I do mm. think we want to be able to say, you know, I mean, sometimes, sure, we can say yes. You know, they ask, they're begging you for a food. Like, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's, you know, let's have some for afternoon tea or let's make those cookies. Like sometimes we can say yes and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of the time we're probably going to have to say, oh, that's not on the menu today. Yeah. Yeah. Full stop. Or it's not on the menu today. How about we get one on Saturday? Yeah. Or maybe we can, you know, maybe we can have pizza tomorrow night. That's a great idea. Have, you know, and redirecting them to a way that they can have that level of involvement and collaboration in planning out the food that you're buying, the snacks you've got, you know, the meals you're making, you know, how about you help me with the shopping list or how about you come shopping with me? Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see that why question's hard. I think we can stand by, you know, I hope that when my kids are a little bit older that we can stand by the, you know, the convictions that we've made as a family and say, you know, this is what we do as a family. We don't have to explain mm-hmm. that, you know, sugars, sugar might cause this. We don't have to use fear tactics. I don't think we have to. We definitely don't want to use the weight card. I think that would, that's, we, we know that's really unhelpful and that's not something I suppose that we're directly speaking to today, but that we know that that's not helpful. We know that there's a large percentage of kids in Australia that do have different eating disorders and we, we don't want to be using those sort of tactics to manipulate and to control Mm. but I understand it's a really hard tension to sit in Mm. yeah I think as well sometimes it's um like we get this at home as well and it's getting a bit more comfortable with you know if they say no but I want it now like and those big emotions come out being like yeah I know you really want it today we're not having it today we can have one on Saturday and just like kind of leaving it that and I am so prone to over explaining and like in you know general social interactions but I think particularly or probably in all interactions but (laughs) definitely with the kids just being like yeah I know you really want it we're not having it today and just kind of leaving it at that. And they might still keep asking and asking and asking and then, yeah, just having to like hold that boundary as hard as it is. And sometimes you're like, ah, I'm at the end of my tether and I'm fine. Okay, you can just have it. But that's probably not not a helpful response. Um, But yeah, just like not even making it about the health of the food or about the fact that you don't want to drive to the shops or whatever it might be, just being like, no, not today. And finding a yes, like I find that's for at least my kids, that can be slightly helpful if it's like a no right now, but a yes is coming at some point in the future. Um, but it is tricky. That's really yeah. helpful. And I'd even add to that, like I think that's being a, yeah, the yes for the future, but then redirecting them to, you know, a yes in the moment, which I imagine looks mm. different with a nine-year-old to a two-year-old, but, you mm. know, being able to offer, being able to offer that choice of what is available in the house now and what is an option mm. for snack time in that moment. Yeah. I mean, the nine-year-old's easier in some ways because they understand consequences. And so right. I can say to him, like, we literally walk past this ice cream shop <laughs> after school every single day. It's like the most inconvenient or maybe for them, convenient yeah. position to ice cream shop. <laughs> and so every day I want an ice cream and there's a tantrum every day that they want an ice cream. Oh. And so <laughs> now we do ice creams on Fridays mm. and that's our thing. And so he understands that now. So he's stopped asking. He's like, it's not Friday. But today is Friday when we're recording <laughs> and he's going to want one. And he can't have one today because I don't have time to go get one. Oh, <laughs> so no. <I'm> like, <laughs> I've got to like run around today because we've got another recording later. And so anyway, mm. it's going to be a meltdown and I'm going to have to make up for it somehow because, mm. you know, it, even though we haven't called it a treat in his mind, that is his treat for finishing school on a Friday. Yeah, something he looks forward he, to. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like I've have we haven't called it that, but he's just made that. That association. So I guess, I don't know. I don't know how you get around that. but mm. It's really challenging. Yeah. Parenting. Like, <laughs> even as we're talking, I've, you know, tried really hard not to have certain language around food. And like, I don't feel like, even now, I still feel like uh, historically I've had a not good relationship with food and I feel like I can easily slip back into that, um, you know, kind of good, bad feeling or feelings about myself, about how I eat. And I don't want to impose that on my kids. And I also have found myself doing things like 
you know, it's really hard to get them to leave certain places. So I'll be like, come on, guys, we've got to go. We can get hot chips on the way home. And if I said, come on, guys, we've got to go, we can get a banana on the way home, they'd be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so, again, I haven't been like, because hot chips is the desirable thing, but I think it just becomes that way because it's like it's intensely tasting and, it, you know, it's yummy for them and we don't eat it every day at home. It's not sitting on the bench like the bananas are. So it does sort of become even without intentionally putting it there, it is already a bit on that pedestal and then I'm utilising that, which is not good. (laughs) I know I shouldn't, but I am. Yeah, food is rewards Mm. and food is motivation. Mm. Often unhelpful in the long run, but it's such an easy strategy to run to. We'll be back after this short break. Today's episode is brought to you by Karcher. We try to keep our home clean and free from bacteria without any harsh chemicals, but unfortunately, we also have kids that don't like to abide by the whole keeping the house clean thing, especially having a two-year-old who often has sticky hands and likes to touch everything in sight. Yes, I can definitely attest with the two-year-old with their sticky hands touching (laughs) everything. And sometimes I just need a quick touch-up so that my house doesn't look too feral without having to wait months for the lounge cleaner to come. (laughs) So I've been loving having my own spot cleaner that I can use. Do you have a spot cleaner? No, but I want one after seeing yours. Well, there's a good hint for you, Mike. (laughs) Yes, well, I have the Karcher SE318 battery-powered spot cleaner, which really is such a great product for parents with young kids being able to quickly and easily clean up spills and stains on the carpet in the lounge and it also offers deep fiber cleaning and complete portability as it is powered by a 18 volt battery yes i am very Which jealous it's great for the caravan if you need to do something too <laughs> hint hint <laughs> The Karcher Spot Cleaner is available at super cheap auto mic shops there. Mita 10, Harvey Norman, Bingley, The Good Guys, or directly through Karcher themselves at Karcher Centres or through their website, which is www.karcher.com.au, where you can use the code BoobDeFood for 20% off. Now let's get back to today's episode. At least you're aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's all parenting is, isn't it? Just being mm. aware of things that we do and trying to make it better, Be reflective, I guess. reflective and Yeah, reflective <laughs> practice, but we're not perfect. No one and is. And I think it's helpful to name, like, we're probably going to make mistakes when it comes mm. to food. We're definitely not going to get it right. Mm. Sometimes I laugh that I'm a parent and that I'm meant <laughs> to know everything. Now, <laughs> like sometimes we'll be doing something and the kids, like Flynn especially now, he's at that age, but he'll question me on a lot of things and I think, how did I get here? Like how do you feel equipped to, to parent? Like I feel like I'm still a kid learning, you know. It's funny how you, when you get that epiphany. <laughs> so when we are eating these foods that we've been talking about, Rach, what should we talk about? Like what should our language be or what, yeah. We've talked about what the not to do, but what should we do? Right. Yeah. Well, I suppose when we're eating food, whether it's, yeah, these, you know, sugary foods or, you know, additive laden foods or whole foods or, you know, whatever kind of foods, um, I think we want to focus. I mean, yeah, we do want to focus more on the connection mm-hmm. than on the food. I think prioritizing that, you know, I love eating. I love that we eat a mango together, you know, on the weekends in summer. This is so special. Or Mm. I'm really enjoying eating this cake with you. How fun. Mm. You know, being able to comment on connection, I think is really special. I love sitting around the table with you guys as a family and, and, you know, valuing that, that moment of connection and shared enjoyment around food. Um, I think other things that are helpful to talk about as well, definitely modeling and also prompting your kids to check in on their hunger and fullness cues, like being aware of their satiation cues and modeling that yourself um, and not just doing that with the uh, with the sugary foods, mm-hmm. but, you know, modeling when we're having dinner, like, oh, you know what? I think, I'm, I think I'm pretty full. I might leave, you know, I might leave this pasta for tomorrow or we might have this as leftovers tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, how's your tummy feeling? Um, oh, it looks like you're still hungry. And, and just modeling that so that we're introducing kids to that concept of checking in with their body and mm. checking in on the hunger and fullness cues without pressure. Mm. Um, I think it's also great to find moments for the education, especially, um, you know, around these whole foods that we want our kids to enjoy and we want them to know about, even if it's just uh, where they came from, you know, mm. oh, we got these from the markets, you know, these are from, you know, the farmer that grows them in North Queensland, being able to connect kids to where food comes from um, and the benefits of food, I think is really important. And then, yeah, reflecting 
on how food makes our body feel. Mm. I think I touched on that earlier. I think that's really important as well. Mm. Um, being able to comment and notice, you know, the, the energy you get from certain foods or how tired you feel, you know, I feel really tired after eating all that bread. You know, how are you feeling? And then mm. I think it's also okay to ask kids to reflect on how they're feeling um, yeah, on the way home from a party, mm. you know, how's your tummy feeling after all that food? And I, I think we've got to be mindful we don't do it in a way that, um, you know, makes kids feel ashamed or, or yeah. guilty. But I think it's more than okay to ask those questions. We were at a party, um, I mean, I guess it was a month or two ago now. And yeah, I mean, my my philosophy when I'm at the parties is to really try and yeah, let Olive decide if she eats and how much she eats. When the food's on offer and she can reach mm. it, I'm really trying <laughs> to sit on my hands and keep my mouth shut. Mm. Um, but it was like piece number five of fairy bread. Um, <laughs> and I, I I checked the hundreds and thousands and it wasn't, it was the, the artificial coloring one. Anyway. Mm. And we did, we had a chat on the way home. And I mean, she's still developing her language skills. But I was like, oh, how are you feeling? You know, and she said she felt really tired. And I mean, she's mm. two. But I think... Over time, those experiences and letting kids experience how food feels, not controlling it. But, mm. you know, maybe that'll be a learning experience or maybe she'll have five pieces next time she sees very bread, <laughs> and that's okay as well. But I think kids having the experience and letting them like reflect and notice how their body feels is helpful. One thing that we talk about with food, and I guess this has come from having like one cautious eater who has thankfully kind of evolved out of it, but now my daughter is the one who's a little bit more inclined to say no to foods, is talk about like the texture of food. So like, oh, that's a crunchy apple or oh, that's a really juicy whatever. Like, oh, oh, that's super salty. Like those sorts of more sensory aspects of the food. So it's not even linking it to an effect within the body, but I guess just like um, kind of joining the dots for them when there are new foods. I know we're not talking about new foods here, but just as like a language around food in general to be like, yeah, what's the texture? What's the smell? What's the taste? That sort of side of it. So we can still, um, I guess, have discussion about the foods and food preferences or like taste preferences or whatever, but it's not then about like, yeah, any of those aspects that might cause more feelings of guilt or shame or, you know, those negative associations with food that we don't want to impose on our kids. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, I mean, that's one of the first things we do, yeah, in feeding therapy and it's bringing that mindfulness and awareness to food in a low pressure way. Yeah. Mm. And so moving into this very festive time of year and obviously more social gatherings and lots of different foods, what should we do when we arrive at, I don't know, Auntie Jenny's house for family Christmas and there's a whole big spread of food on the table. How do we talk about that with our kids? Do we talk about that with our kids? Like what what would you say? I've always loved, I mean, I think it's Luca that I've heard talk about filling your little one up, you know, as mm. much as you can with nutrient dense or high fat foods that are going to keep them feeling full for longer before you get to the party or the social events. That's, that's something I've always tried to do. You guys probably have more tips on types of food that would be helpful there. But I think once you get there, no, I really don't think you have to, I don't think you have to talk about it. You know, there might be social etiquette that you need to bring their awareness mm. to like, oh, we're not going to eat until, you know, auntie says it's time to yeah. eat. You know, I think there's social things we can bring their awareness to, you know, and if your child's taken all the Pavlovas, mm -hmm. then I think it's fine to say, hey, we need it. You know, there's no more on the menu for you. We need to leave some for, you know, some of the other family members. I think that's okay. But I, I do think as much as possible, trying to sit back and trying to, you know, let the social event play out and let your child have that experience with food. Um, that there's a, there's a study that's shown that even just one encounter with food um, where a child is restricted from eating it does lead to significantly increased desire for that food. Mm. And, you know, that's not the end of the world, but we do know that the more we restrict, the more they want it and the more they fixate on it. So I think as much as you can sit back and just enjoy the food yourself, mm. you know, and enjoy the experience and enjoy being with your kids. Um, are there any things that you guys tend to do in those environments? I was just going to prep your kids. I was going to say, coming back to that, that's a question that we get asked a lot is, you know, if we do restrict mm. these foods, so you know, when we do have just one child, for example, or when they're little and we don't give them a certain food for whatever reason, for however long you can manage not to, do they then get like over, you know, there's comments that then they'll really, really crave mm. these foods when they finally are exposed to them and that they'll go nuts on them. I personally haven't seen this, like, to be honest, my first child who I talked about who didn't have really anything like this 
you know, sugary or anything until he was probably over three. Mm. Um, he's actually probably my best at parties. Like he's really intuitive. Even we were at a party the other day and he's at school parties now. So it's like the food's very different to the parties that we used to go to when mm. it was my friend group. And so he, we were there the other day and it was at like a jumping place and he said, oh, mum, I'm not going to eat any cake because I won't be able to jump because it makes my tummy feel sick. Mm. I said, okay, no worries. You know, he ate lots of other stuff, but like he had come to that realization on his own, and he didn't. And he he's very good. Like he'll he'll eat something, he'll know when his tummy's feeling full, and then he'll sort of he'll put his little lollies in a little bag or something and take them home. Mm. And he'll spend like a week eating just five lollies because he'll just have one a day. Whereas (laughs) Florence and Will, (laughs) complete different story, and they're the ones that were exposed to it earlier. We were Mm. at a party the other day and Will did not get off the table. He was just shoveling, shoveling (laughs) food into his mouth like there was no tomorrow. Like he's so restricted, poor child. (laughs) Anyway, and so I don't know if there's studies around this that if you do restrict that they do – go overboard I'm not sure personally anecdote I haven't seen that in my kids Mm. I don't know about you guys yeah I mean we are still like our social group they tend most of our friends eat quite similarly to us Mm. and at the same time like they're you know we went to a a birthday party last night and there was a pinata and inside the pinata was just like normal Cadbury chocolates and so Bowie's like shoveling a crunchy into her mouth and that was fine. Um, and actually when we went camping the other week, Mike took the kids and played on the skill tester mm. and they won. Mind you, he spent $25 on the skill <laughs> tester. That's a lot of tests. <laughs> anyway, the haul of lollies that they had was outrageous and the kids have never eaten lollies like that before. And so they, yeah, they did eat a few and they were definitely asking for more. But when we've socialised with like some friends that we do have who don't eat the same sorts of foods that we do, I found that the kids, um, we didn't say anything. They were free to eat whatever they liked, but they did gravitate more towards the familiar food. So they ate the fruit and they ate the crackers and they didn't actually go towards, like I remember there was lamingtons and like I think even pretzels and like they didn't eat those foods. So, yeah, I mean I wouldn't say um, my kids maybe aren't yet aware that they've been restricted because we haven't we haven't said no. Like I just have still, I guess, maintained that division of responsibility. So these aren't foods that are within our house and they haven't really been exposed to them socially. And so anytime they have been exposed, it's not been a conversation. They've been free to eat things. I guess the only thing would be outside of like food intolerances. Um, Jude, my eldest, he thankfully has grown out of, but had F pies. So Mm. his trigger food was banana, which was randomly in a lot of things when you go Mm, to like especially actually among our social group when they're making like you know a healthier cake that might have banana in it as like a sweetener and so there have been a lot of times in his early years where I'd have to say oh you can't actually eat that because it's got banana in it and he understood that for him that would make him sick um and so then actually the challenge that we faced with him was when we got around to trialing it he was really unwilling to to have banana because he was he knew that that would make his body really sick um so we had to just put it in a smoothie and give it to him so that we knew <laughs> that it was fine and then eventually coax him into trying it and now he loves them and it's not an issue um, but I guess there would be situations like that where you know people have a food allergy or a food intolerance or they're dealing with you know an acute health condition and they are taking certain foods out of their diet at the moment and so I guess, like, would there be different language that you'd use then or how would you communicate that? I, I, I think it's a great point you raised. I mean, it definitely depends on their age and their level mm. of understanding. Um, Olive went through um, a, a histamine intolerance a couple of months back. And, I mean, it was around the time she was around 18 months. So her language wasn't really there to explain that it might make her break out in hives later mm. on in the day. You know, she didn't have that awareness. But it did mean that I had to be a little bit more hands-on when we were mm. at social events because, you know, there were certain veggies she couldn't eat. You know, yeah. she couldn't have her cherry tomatoes and, you know, her citrus fruit. So things that, you know, we would usually think are, you know, are great options at a party. So what I did in that situation, rather than having to say no, 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 is I tried to jump in and sort of fill up her plate with a variety of mm. things that I knew she could eat, you know, some nutrient dense, some probably not, and just tried to um, sort of support her in grabbing the options. But mm. I think 
it's great when the kids are a little bit older and you're able to explain, you know, how it might make their tummy hurt or it might make their skin feel a bit itchy. I think it's helpful to be able to explain the why. Um, I know some people use the language of, you know, oh, that's a friendly food for Olive, you know, and mm. that's not a friendly food. So I think sometimes using language like that is needed if there's allergies and kids aren't quite understanding. But I think as much as possible, we don't want to yeah, demonize the food. So trying mm. to, yeah, keep it not too stressful. But I guess to circle back to your original question there, Luca, there's no evidence that I'm aware of that if we feed our kids, you know, nutrient-dense foods at home and then not exposed to these foods a lot of the time at home, um, that they will go crazy at, mm. you know, at parties or when they are exposed. I think it's really dependent on temperament, mm. how kids are going to react in those environments. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, there are some studies around when kids are exposed to food and the food is in front of them, if they're restricted and they're told, no, you can't eat that, mm. that that's when it can lead to increased desire. So I think mm. it's not an issue. I don't think we have to offer these foods all the time at home, you know, in a way to sort of desensitize them. That's not something that I think is supported by the evidence, but I do think we've got to be really careful when the food is there, how we interact with it and yeah, what messages we're sending kids. Mm. I guess it's like um, what Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit. <laughs> when something's forbidden, you want it more and more. <laughs> so that comes back to anything, no, not yeah. just food, doesn't it? If there's something that's been forbidden for you, it's like your brain just goes, oh, mm. I want that now. Mm. <laughs> we're such yeah we're such interesting creatures <laughs> yeah and what about talking to like other family members or other caregivers or other party goers if it's at you know Christmas celebrations or other celebrations like how can we explain language around food to these other influences on our children mm. well I'm keen to hear your experiences here too I suppose I've been really grateful yeah that we do have family and friends that, you know, we might eat slightly different ways, but very aligned, I suppose, in values, which is really helpful. I think there's got to be a lot of wisdom um, applied in each situation because I suppose it's different. There's certain times where you can just kind of, um, I don't know, joke it away or laugh it off. I think there's certain people, you know, if, if you're not going to see them, you know, again or very often, I don't think you have to feel a need to explain and justify all your parenting choices. Mm. But if they're people that are close to you or they're involved in caregiving, I think it is worth taking the time to be able to explain your why and even explain the resources and approaching those conversations in a really sort of teachable and humble way yourself. You know, oh, you know, I actually learned this recently or I came across this podcast. So I'm thinking that, you know, this is the approach that we're trying for now. And I think keeping things, um, yeah, open. Um, is always better than being really final and um, implying that you found the best way and that their way is wrong. I think mm. anything with parenting can become so defensive mm. um, and people can easily yeah, take, take offense if you're choosing to do things you know, a different way to your friend group or a different way to the family that you were brought up in. Mm. And I think that's their emotion. And if it causes an emotional response for, for you, and I found this in other areas of parenting, you know, even with sleep, you know, when someone has, you know, had a different approach, to, uh, you know, when it comes to sleep to the approach that we've taken, um, you know, the emotion it brings up in me and asking the question, you know, like, am I looking for approval here? You know, what am I, what do I need here? And do, you know, is that actually something that I need from this person? Um, mm. How have you got, yeah, how have you guys handled those conversations? I haven't really had to deal with it really either. Mm. I do think though like my mum likes to use um, food as treats mm. so right. she'll often do the language like eat your dinner and then you can get dessert mm. and I've had to say to her, you know, if they don't want to eat their dinner that's fine and, you know, if there's dessert on offer that's fine but they don't need the dessert as like bribery mm. to finish right. their dinner. And that's a big one, I think, for a lot of like that generation is, you know, eat all of your food on the plate and then you'll get dessert and it's like that that reward that you were talking about. Mm. That's the biggest one that I have found. How about you? I feel like because I'm a nutritionist, I feel like um, everyone's, scared any, of everyone's scared of me. Yeah, truly. I feel like. They're all just copying what you do. Well, I just, I think. That they probably no, feel judged by you. Well, the other yeah, way around. I'm not judgmental, I promise. But no, I've, um, yeah, my in-laws who are with the kids a lot, they like, I mean, they eat very 
similarly anyway. But I feel like because everyone's probably a little bit scared of me, I'm not a scary person. I would never be (laughs) (laughs) unkind, but I think they, like they've always clarified things with me. Um, That said, you know, going to extended family things, like there's foods that I just think, oh, I mean, maybe now as the kids are getting older, like things like soft drink, I think, oh, well, my kids are like really equally excited by bubbly water or coconut Mm. water. So I just think, oh, do we need to go there? They haven't had soft drink yet. This year, you know, they are a bit older again. So maybe if it's on offer, it will end up in their cups. Um, Yeah, there's probably things like that that I've said, oh, no, we would you like to have a bubbly water instead and try to redirect it? But, yeah, I'm not feeling like a, a hard line on that necessarily as they get older. It's just when they're really little and I think, no. That's, we can probably avoid that for slightly longer, Mm. but yeah, I don't think I've had to have big conversations. Probably the bigger conversations are more around like safe foods in terms of choking and, you know, some of the age appropriate shapes and sizes of food that if, you know, it's someone who doesn't have young children, maybe, I don't know if the information has changed or they've forgotten, like that's probably where I, I place more concern. I want my children to be able to actually eat safely, Mm. Um, particularly at social gatherings where they likely are a bit more distracted and they're not sitting in their normal chair and and that sort of thing. Um, But otherwise, yeah, I haven't really had to to chat about it. Going back to the dessert with dinner, Rach, Mm. that is a question that we get asked a lot and we don't, like as a family, we don't really eat dessert very often. I don't have a very sweet tooth, so it's just not something that we've ever done However, the kids have like recently started asking for dessert. I don't know if they've seen it like on a movie or what. Or, or I mean, sometimes when, or maybe my mum's house, like, you know, if we do go to a social gathering, there is often dessert after dinner. And so they've, you know, they've definitely been exposed to it. It's just not something that we do regularly. But what is your advice around that? Because, you know, you see advice like, have the dessert with the dinner and that's just not something that I would feel comfortable doing because we just don't eat like sweet food really at night. Like it's just not a thing that we do. So I'm like I don't feel inclined to offer it with dinner Mm. because it's not part of our normal food that we would eat anyway. But Mm. what would be your advice around that? Yeah, I mean I do think it's family dependent and what's important to your family and Mm. what traditions you guys tend to have. I mean I am a sweet tooth. I love a bit of dessert. Like I love it. Yeah, last night we had a rhubarb crumble. We had some friends over. I'm like I love a good dessert. (laughs) Um, But, you know, for a while, um, you know, especially for those first, you know, 18 months, like Olive's asleep, you know, and it's nice to enjoy. I, I, you know, I'd love sitting down on the couch after the bed bath dinner routine and enjoying Mm. my dessert, you know, Mm. but now she's staying up later and later, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, but it's also nice to be able to enjoy, you know, that dessert with her, um, sometimes. And, you know, yeah, last night we had some friends around for a little Christmas dinner and to be honest, she hardly ate any food, any of her dinner, you know, and mainly because she was, you know, distracted. You know, people Mm. were there, she was chatting, she was showing off her toys, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is fine. And so I think really important that, like like you touched on, Luca, that we're not using dessert as an incentive to eat dinner, Mm -hmm. that it's a separate, if we choose to offer dessert, I think we need to think of it like a separate meal, you know? And I don't think you'd say you can't have your lunch because you didn't have your breakfast, you know? It's a separate Mm. offering of food. And Mm. I do think as soon as we do that, and I know it's such a common thing and, you know, in some ways it makes sense, but we want them to fill up on, you know, the good things um, and, you know, the nutrient-dense things. But I think it really does immediately put that food up on the pedestal um, Mm. in an unhelpful way. So trying to keep that separate if we're choosing to offer dessert, it's not contingent on how much dinner they ate. Um, I do think the dinner, sorry, I do think offering the dessert alongside dinner, I think that could be a great strategy um, if there is a little one who has become really fixated. Um, You know, it it doesn't even just have to be dessert. You can offer, you know, if they're really fixated on chips, offer a handful of potato chips Mm. alongside their dinner. You know, you can do that. You can offer a bit of brownie alongside them. I think it's a great way of taking it off the pedestal. Mm -hmm. If it's not something that you've got at home, you definitely don't have to do that. But if they're seeing it in the pantry and they're asking and asking and asking, I think offering things like that alongside a meal is a helpful way of just... um, yeah, taking the um, yeah, taking the excitement mm. out of it and just offering it. And then usually what happens is that they ask for more, mm-hmm. you know, more brownie or more chips. And you say and that's when you can say, no, there's no more brownie on the menu, you know, tonight. But you do have, you know, you've got your bread and your pasta and your meatballs and you can redirect them to what's available. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so just limiting it a little bit. I actually thought that would never work with my kids. I was like, that would never work. But mm. then even last night we were at like a school event and so we, it was like a picnic thing and so I had some, I don't know, slice, peanut slice thing in my basket but then I also had dinner and I was just socialising. I wasn't really parenting very well <laughs> and Will was just helping himself to the basket and so we ate all the peanut, peanut slice first but then he did eat his dinner still after um, and so I guess it can work for some kids like if that is a thing like it's like I said it's not something that I feel like I would do at home Mm. because we just don't eat sweet things every night and I just don't think that it's needed um if we have dessert it's usually just if people come over you know and we're having like a special thing or Christmas or something like that yeah but yeah I think that's a good point if someone's little one is wanting Mm. like these sweet things constantly um but going back to that division of responsibility and just being mindful about how much you offer and then, yeah, having some boundaries around that I think is okay to do. Like we would, can have boundaries around any food. It doesn't have mm. to just be sweet food. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's and that natu- different. And natural boundaries. Yeah. Sorry, you go, Kate. I was going to say I guess that's the difference. It's not um, you can have a boundary around food. It doesn't have to be a food restriction. It's not like a, this is a never food, this is a always food, but you can say, yeah, there's no more of that. And sometimes then like isn't anymore. <laughs> if you've yeah. like eaten the whole bag of chips, it's like, well, yeah, that has actually come to the end or we're saving some for other people. So I think that's, yeah, maybe the the clarification of like we can still hold boundaries. This is not to say our kids just get free reign and if they come home saying I want lollies and ice cream, we just have to say yes, otherwise they end up with a bad food relationship. But it's just maybe, yeah, the reframing of putting foods on pedestals, you know, changing some of the language and softening it so that they're not fixated on good, bad, right, wrong, or anything to do with themselves and them being good or bad or right and wrong or healthy or unhealthy or those sorts of things that are really unhelpful long-term. Mm. Yeah, super helpful. Oh, well, we could chat to you all day mm. about this, Rach, but um, I think we'll leave it at that because, yeah, the questions could just become... So many. Yes. Hopefully I'll have to send this to my husband. (laughs) He's my biggest deal deal breaker at the moment. He just, he has a sweet too. So he's just coming home with all sorts at the moment, finding it so fun. So anyway, I'll send this through to him to have a listen to. And thank you. I think everyone will find this really helpful going into, especially into this Christmas season. And hopefully everyone can just enjoy themselves, enjoy their social gatherings. um, And yeah, just Try not to think about the food too much. As long as there's no choking risks or allergens or anything mm-hmm. like that on the table, letting our little ones just have a good time and, yeah, taking that food off the pedestal like you were talking about. Mm, super helpful. I'll continue to put the theory into practice after you get it a few years <laughs> and see, see what my answers are. I'll ask you the question about the nine-year-old yeah. who says it is available. Maybe I can say I've run out of money because that could yeah. be true. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Oh, thanks, Ray. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to Boob to Food, the podcast. We hope this episode made you feel inspired, confident, and less overwhelmed in your parenting journey. Head to the show notes for all the resources mentioned on today's episode. And if you loved this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next week. Bye.